Good to see everybody tonight. And I appreciate uh, Gary James filling in last week doing Romans 8. Did you get through the Romans 8? I hadn't seen him. Did you, did you finish Romans 8? Good deal. That's a, that's a man-sized job. Good. Uh, okay. Well, we are moving along. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to be together tonight. Just pray your blessing upon our uh, study and you would help us as we uh, study this rich portion of your word. We thank you for it. Pray that you be our teacher again, as always, through the Holy Spirit. We pray for your help now and guidance and blessing. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we are in Romans chapter 9. Uh, no, what do you need? Oh, oh, oh the video's over there. Anyway, we're in Romans uh, chapter 9. This is, uh, for many people, a very intimidating chapter. It is a beautiful chapter. What a glorious chapter is Romans 9. Now, it is uh, somewhat difficult at times to fit Romans 9, 10, and 11 in the flow of the book. It almost seems as though they're kind of a parenthesis in, in the main flow of the, of the book. But I don't think that's necessarily the case. I think there are, are two main connections. You know, in, in chapters 9, 10, 11, Paul is dealing specifically with the Jews, God's relationship to the Jews. And remember early on in, in, in the book of Romans, especially in chapter 2, he, was, he laid an indictment against the Jews. You know, in chapter 1, the indictment was against the, the, the pagans, against the, the Gentiles. And about the time the Jews said, yeah, Paul, you're right about those wicked old Gentiles. He said, well, the same applies to you. And you're just as guilty as they, just as liable before the just bar of God's throne as they are. And so he picks up now again with the Jews. Now, the connection, I think, immediately to Romans chapter 8, is, what, what, is, what did Paul end with at the end of Romans 8? What great doctrine one of them what's that yeah those whom he foreknew he also predestined those whom he predestined he also called those whom he called he also justified those whom he justified he also glorified then he ends that chapter by saying nothing can separate us from the love of christ not any earthly thing and so he's expecting people to ask well about the Jews. God chose them. God predestined them. Where are they? Look at them. They've, they've fallen away. Doesn't that negate what you've just said? And so Romans 9, 10, and 11, I think, are an attempt to try to answer that, to, to, to put in kind of a summary form uh, the whole place of the Jews in God's uh, plan of salvation. Now, we're going to, I started to take the time to read the whole chapter, but we're so pushed for time. Um, oh, let's go ahead and do it. 
John, you're going to get mad if I go to someone. <laughs> All right. Okay, thank you. This is obviously one of the clearest, most profound teachings in the Bible on divine sovereignty and predestination. And Paul uses it, applies it, in God's relationship specifically to Israel, to the Jews. Now, in verses 1 through 5, Paul is talking about himself. It's a kind of a personal testimony about his own relationship with the Jews. And he, he's taking an oath here in the first five verses. This is serious business to Paul. Notice what he says in verse 1. He says, I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit. And so he, he takes this oath, says, look, I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. My conscience bears with me in it. And he invokes both the name of who? Holy Spirit and, and Christ himself. They are like, these are my witnesses that I am telling the truth. And what is the truth? It is in verse 2 that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. Paul was a burdened man. What was his burden for? Burden was for the Jews. And look how deep that burden is in verse 3. He says, For I wish that I myself were accursed, separate from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. What's he saying there? What's he saying, Scott? He would, he's saying, I would, I would go to hell that they might be saved. I would make atonement for them if I could do it. It reminds us of what Moses said after the, the, the children of Israel built the golden calf. Go back to Exodus chapter 32 a minute. Keep your finger in Romans 9. Exodus 32. Let me start with verse 30. On the next day, Moses said to the people, you yourselves have committed a great sin. And now I'm going up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. What an incredible thing. Of course, no one can make atonement for sin, but who? But Christ. But, but Moses was so burdened for the sin of his people that he said, maybe I can make atonement for you. And then Moses returned to the Lord. And alas, this people and said, alas, this people has committed a great sin and they have made a God of gold for themselves. But now, if you will, forgive their sin. But he goes on to say, and if not, if you're not willing to forgive their sin, please blot me out from your book which you have written. He's saying, look, I'm willing for you to blot my name out of the book if you'll just forgive their sin. And God says in verse 33, whoever sinned against me, him I will blot out of my book. Same kind of attitude we have here in Paul, who says, I wish I could, I wish I could go to hell. That they go to heaven. People, some people accuse Paul of being anti-Semitic, being anti-Jewish, because of his ministry to the Gentiles because of some of the comments he made about 
the Jews. Nothing could be farther from the truth. He loved the Jews, loved his own people, burdened for them, willing even to take their place if possible. Then in verses um, 4 and 5, he talks about the blessings. It just kind of lists the blessings that Israel had, that the Jews had. Look, look at what they are. They are, he's, he's, they are Israelites. They have been, a, to whom belongs adoption as sons, have been adopted. God chose them as his own. They had the glory. What kind of glory did they have? Where was the glory manifest to Israel? In the temple, the tabernacle, that's right. Uh, they had the Shekinah glory. They had the covenants with Abraham, Moses, David. They were given the law. They had the temple service. What all did that involve? The temple service. That's right. Bread, the lampstand, sacrifices, shedding of blood. They had the promises that God had given. They had the fathers, the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And most of all, where did the Christ come from? From where did the Christ come? Is really the proper English. It came from the Jews. And all this, the Christ came from the Jews, according to the flesh. And so the people ask, well, what happened? If all that's true and they have all that blessing from God, what happened? Has the word of God failed? That's what he asked in verse 6. But it is not as though he says, the word of God has failed. Just because the Jews have fallen away and the Jews have rejected the promises of the covenant and because they have rejected the promised Messiah doesn't mean that God's word in any respect has failed. In fact, what Paul goes on to say is that the the Jews' rejection of Christ is the fulfillment of God's purpose and the fulfillment of God's plan. Notice his explanation of it. End of verse 6. For they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel. Verse 7. Nor are they all children because they are Abraham's descendants. That was the great claim of the Jews, wasn't it? What they tell Jesus? We are Abraham's descendants. And they banked on the physical descendancy from Abraham and their commitment to all this external paraphernalia that was built into the Jewish religious culture in order to affirm their relationship with God and give them an assurance of salvation. But what they didn't understand is that God's blessings, God's promised blessings are not given it's hard to spell on the board and talking at the same time. They're not given by biologically. They're given sovereignly. Not all who are descended from Israel 
We can go here, Abraham, and we'll get there, Isaac, Jacob, that's Israel. Not all who are descended here are true Israel. There are some who are over here. Now, these people looked over here at these people with disdain, didn't they? And scorn. Because they weren't in the line of Abraham. But Paul's whole point is there's something much better than that. Look at verse uh, 8. That is, it is not the children of the flesh. Here we go. Here's the flesh. Not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but it's the children of what? Promise. It's not those descended from Abraham who are the children of promise. It's those who are, if you will allow my analogy, who are descended from Christ, who have faith in Christ, who are the children of promise and regarded as descendants. And then he uses two illustrations to make his point. One has to do with Sarah, her two sons, Ishmael and Isaac, and Rebecca, and her two sons, Jacob and Esau. Sarah, of course, had two sons. I'm sorry. Sarah had one son. Abraham had two sons by two, by two different mothers. Who was born first? Ishmael was born first. By every right... Who should have gotten the blessing? Ishmael should have got it. But Ishmael wasn't the child of, P word, he wasn't the child of promise. That's what it says here. Verse 9, for this is the word of promise. At this time I will come and Sarah will have a son. And so even though Ishmael might have fit here, I, Isaac fit over here. Now, let's go to verse 10. And not only this, but there was Rebecca also. Who was Rebecca buried to? Isaac. When she had conceived twins by one man, our father Isaac. So we had the case of Abraham. We had one father, two mothers. Two sons, here we have two sons, one mother and one father. Verse 11, for though the twins were not yet born, had not done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose according to his choice would stand. Do you think God's trying to make a point in verse 11? It's like he's trying to just hammer it home. Not yet born, hadn't done anything good or bad. And so that God's purpose, according to his choice, would stand, not because of works, but because of him who calls. It was said to her, what? The older. What's up there? Who was the older? Esau. These are twins. Not like Ishmael and Isaac born years apart, number of years apart. They're twins. But it. But Esau was born first. Again, by every human 
right, and Esau knew it, he should have gotten the blessing. Esau was over here. He fit over here. But Jacob received the blessing. Why? Why? What was that? Who <laughs> said so? Because God said so. That's it. That's it. It's God's choice. The older will serve their younger. God said it. And it happened. Verse 12. Swallow hard. It was said to her, the older will serve the younger, verse 13. Just as it is written, Jacob, I have, what? Loved. Esau, I have what? Mm-hmm. Anybody, can anybody say it? Hated. What in the world does that mean? I thought the Bible says God is love. <laughs> he does not hate his father and mother. Yeah. It's, you know, you got to understand that when, we, when it talks about God hating, it doesn't mean, you know, when we, when we hear the word hate, what comes to our mind? Comes the way, comes, what well, comes to my mind is the way I hate somebody. I'm a bitter vitriolic hatred towards someone because of what they did to me or said about me. It's not what we're talking about here. And when it says, Esau, I hated. It's a contrast. It, it follows through in the context. Jacob, I have chosen Esau, I have passed by. Not that God hated Esau. He made Esau a great nation, didn't he? But in the context of his overall plan of salvation, his his saving love, his, his electing love was placed upon Jacob. And he rejected, if you will, he rejected Esau did not give the blessing to him. So, any questions before we move on? Yeah, I, I think um, I, I was going to get touch on that in just a little bit. Some people, well, we're obviously talking about, in the big picture, two nations. But... Romans 9 is talking about two individuals, about Jacob and Esau. And some people kind of get around, the, try to get around the tricky part of this, the difficult part, not the tricky part, the difficult part of this electing grace of God. I'm saying it doesn't deal with, not that he chose Esau and Jacob, but he chose the Israelites and the Edomites nationally. But it's clear in the text. It's not just nationally. It's individually. So the Bible says, Jacob I have loved. 
he saw. I rejected. Now, the natural question that people ask, seeing all this is, or what they'll say is, that's not fair. That's not fair. He didn't give poor old Esau a chance. What the Bible says, isn't it? Before they were born, before they'd done anything good or bad, not because of works, but so that God's purpose and God's choice would stand. God chose Jacob and not Esau. And so the question, verse 4 is, 14, what shall we say then? Is there no, is there no injustice with God? Is God not fair? And the answer is, again, that's that, I've told you several times, if you've gone through the book of Romans, there's that strongest Greek negative. In the Greek, it's meganoita. God forbid. May it never be. And then he uh, goes back to, to when uh, uh, Moses, again, you know, the, the building of the golden calf is a big deal. So big that Moses said, I'm going to see if I can make atonement for these people. And he quotes in verse um, 15 from a couple of chapters later, I think it's 34 in, in Exodus, where Moses again makes an appeal. And God says, I'll have mercy on whom I have mercy. I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion. That is, that is the wonder, folks, of grace. I'm going to say it again. You don't want God to be fair. You don't want God to be just with you. You want God to be gracious. I'll have mercy on whom I will have mercy. Look, we all deserve what? We, de we deserve justice. What did, Esau, what did Esau get? Hmm? He got justice. What did Jacob get? That's what God says. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, compassion on whom I have compassion. Verse 16, so it does not depend on the man who wills or on the man who runs, but it all depends on who? It all depends on God who has mercy. I, I really intend to start with putting, folks, if you're going to understand Romans chapter 9, you got to see it's all about, it's all about God. you got to let God be God. And, and, and so many times when we come to a chapter like this, we say, mm, I don't think, I don't think that's the way God did it. We try to make God like we want him to be instead of how he clearly here reveals himself to be. Look, I have mercy on whom I have mercy. I have compassion on whom I have compassion. It doesn't depend on you. It doesn't matter how much you work, how much hard you run, how fast you are. It doesn't matter what matters. 
and what I desire. See, that's what the Jews thought. Man, if I just work harder, if I just run faster, if I just do more, God will embrace me. And God says, no, that's not the, that's not the deal. It's not the deal. It's not by works. It's not by man's effort. It's by my grace. It's by my mercy. It's by my compassion. And then he uses Pharaoh as an illustration, verse 17. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I raised you up to demonstrate my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed through the whole earth so then he has mercy on whom he desires and he hardens whom he desires. And everybody swallowed hard again. He uses Pharaoh as an example. He says, look, I raised Pharaoh up to demonstrate my power in you. What was he saying there? Who was Pharaoh? What was that? Who was that? Most powerful man on earth. And when he came against the living God, what happened? He was, he was, he had plague after plague after plague he couldn't control. Mightiest man on earth. God says, I raised you up that I might what? Display my power. So then he says, I has mercy on whom he desires and he hardens whom he desires. I'm going to be real brief here on a very complicated subject. We believe in predestination. We don't believe in double predestination. Double predestination is that God sees everybody on an equal plane and he declares you to be righteous and he declares you to be unrighteous. Okay? He doesn't, um, it, it's an act of his judgment, if you will. There are two big words, superlapsarianism and infralapsarianism, but we'll skip those tonight, Okay? We are infralapsarianism people because God doesn't see us on an equal plane. God sees us all bound for where? For hell. And out of those who deserve his just justice and damnation, out of that number, what does he do? He chooses some for salvation. Now, he says, verse 6, 18, he has mercy on whom he desires and he hardens whom he desires. He's referring there to who? For you as verse. Pharaoh. Now, if, if you study the, the plagues, there's an interplay. And by the way, we're going to stop here in just a minute and we'll finish chapter 9. I'm not going to rush through it. We're going to finish chapter 9 and do the rest next week, in two weeks. Where it says, God hardened Pharaoh's heart, but it also says several times, Pharaoh hardened his own heart. What happens when we resist the commandments of God over and over and over again? What happens to us? Yeah. What happens to your conscience? It was gallus. and seared, and that's what... That's what happened to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said, I ain't going to let those people go. 
I'm not going to let those people go. He hardened his heart. And finally, God just kind of let him have it to go his own way and did not intervene. And his heart was hardened. John, you give me seven minutes. John's doing a quiet night. Verse 19. Okay, then, if that's the deal, if it's all about God, not about me, God chooses, and it doesn't matter what I do, why then does he still find fault? Who can resist God's will? And the answer the Bible gives is basically, who are you to ask that question? Who are you? Who are you? Who am I? To answer back to God. The thing molded will not say to the molder, why did you make me like this, will it? Verse 22 is a parallel verse. 21. Or does not the potter have the right over the clay? So in verse 20 is the molder. In verse 21 is the potter. In verse 20 is the, the, the thing molded. In verse 21, it's the clay. Who's the potter? God's the potter. Who's the clay? We are. And the Bible says, we don't have any right to say, God, why'd you do me this way? Look, folks, God can do us any way he wants to. And then he goes on to verse 22. What if God, though willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known, endured with patience vessels of wrath for prayer for destruction? That's the real question. I don't, what's he asking in verse 22? What if God actually shows some patience towards sinners? What, what if God, always willing to demonstrate his wrath and make his power known, Endured with patience these vessels of destruction and put up with them for a while. That's the real question. Why would God do that? Why doesn't God, God just send us all to hell to begin with and not put up with us? It says in verse 20 that he did so to make the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy which he prepared for him, beforehand for glory. God is patient with us that we might come to salvation and he might show his mercy and his glory, and he's called us, he says, not only from among the Jews, but among the Gentiles. And then he quotes from the Old Testament. It's not just something new. This was prophesied. He quotes from Hosea. I will call those who were not my people. He's over here. I'll call these, those people my people. And there who was not beloved, beloved. And it shall be that in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they shall be called sons of the living God. Then he quotes Isaiah. Look at verse 27. What does Isaiah talk about in verse 27? The what? The remnant. All the way through the Bible, God has maintained a remnant. Out of all the rejection and disobedience and idolatry and destruction, God has always held to a remnant, and it is that remnant that will be saved. The Lord will execute his word on the earth thoroughly and quickly. Now, 
quickly verses 30 through 33, where it's a testimony of the wonder of God's grace. Again, it doesn't seem fair, does it? What shall we say then? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness attained it. But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, didn't, get, didn't find it. The Gentiles didn't care. They didn't pursue righteousness, but they found righteousness because of God's mercy. The Jews sought it, and they didn't get it. Why not? Because it says in uh, verse 30, ask the question, why? It's because they did not pursue it by faith, but as though it were by works. They thought they could earn it. They thought they could deserve it. You're right, it's all by grace. It's all by mercy. And the worst part of it, God sent them a rock on which they could stand to build their lives. What did they do on that rock? They stand on it. They stumbled over it. It became a stumbling block to them. Reminds me of verse, uh, you know, go look back to verse 5. It was from the Jews that rock came. And yet they rejected him. And they stumbled all over him. Salvation is all of God. If you and I got what we deserve, God would, you know, he, we wouldn't be vessels of mercy. We'd be vessels of wrath. But God is merciful. And in his mercy, he has seen fit to call us to salvation. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word and its truth. Pray your blessing upon now our reflection upon this portion of your word. May we glory in it and delight in who you are and your sovereign power and your wonderful mercy and grace toward lost sinners like us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we've got um, five weeks left and we've got seven chapters to go. And we're going to take chapters 10 and 11 together next week.